Welcome to Breaking the Glass Slipper. I'm Megan Lee. I'm Charlotte Bond. I'm Gabriella Hersick. I'm Katie West. And I'm Sophie St. Thomas. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. Um, We're really, really lucky to be joined by the three of you today to talk about feminism, witches, ritual and power. Um, So basically, I I came across um, Katie's latest project, Becoming Dangerous, and it just sounded so interesting that I really wanted to get Katie on. And um, we're lucky enough to be joined by two of the contributors to the project as well. Just before we get stuck into the the episode discussion, Katie, why why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about the project? Uh, Sure. So um, I published books and I kind of come up with these weird niche ideas that I feel like I'm really surprised people like, but my first book was about divorce. And then, so this book is about, um, well, it's basically about using ritual to destroy the patriarchy. And, um, I mean, I guess it's probably about more than that, but that's mostly what it is. So people using ritual to summon their own power to resist or to survive or to thrive in this kind of shitty world that we're living in right now. Awesome. Well, I mean, looking at the the sort of breakdown of who's involved and the, the kinds of um, essays that will be involved in the book, just look, it looks fantastic. So that's, yeah, <laughs> I'm looking forward to reading it. Me too. I'm very excited about it. I think it's going to be amazing. And then I'm very excited too, because not only do I have those 20 contributors that you can see, but I also have three more lined up who are going Ooh. to be added to it. Sneaky. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> So, I mean, one of the, the, well, a couple of people I know are talking about sort of witchcraft as part of ritual and feminism in the book. So that kind of led me to to think about um, power and to feel safe. You know, we need to feel powerful and powerful enough to choose and pursue what we want. And, you know, be that a power derived from the physical power, money, politics or anything, really. But historically, women kind of are the powerless ones and you know, while we might say that womankind has come a long way, we are far from secure and our rights may be stripped at a moment's notice, as the current political climate has uh, shown. Um, <laughs> so what power can we turn to? And this, is, I think, is, is one of those reasons why witchcraft is still really, really popular in popular culture today. You know, witchcraft uh, has long been the domain of women and it gives women power when they have none a practice that continues to this day. And, you know, yeah, as I say, it's, it's really popular within fiction. So I wanted to talk to you about, you know, why you think ideas of witchcraft and witches are still popular and how much of it is about reclaiming power versus simply just rebelling against the status quo of the patriarchy. Um, personally, I think that it's kind of a combination of the two. I think that, I think, like you said, the main reason is because this working with nature, alongside nature, working with our own innate source of power gives us the feeling of having control over our lives. Like witchcraft, like, yes, it utilizes other tools, but more than anything, it's something that nobody else can take away from you. It's a power that's, that's in you. Um, and as, you know, like a political landscape, it gets scarier and scarier. It's something that everybody can turn to no matter how much money they have, um, if they're a marginalized person or not, or any kind of political, whatever, like, it's just, it's available to everybody. Um, But in that witchcraft, the the idea of the witch as a figure, as an archetype has also been used as a way to rebel because it's something that's passed on women as something that's horrible. So like, 
which the um, like WITCH, the, the the movement from like the seventies um, is kind of coming up again, and it's that's in itself like a like a political group that rebels against what's going on, and they use it's almost like um like like the punks how they used their clothing to make a statement. It's they now people are using the archetype of the witch also to make a statement alongside actually working with the practice. And I, I think it's because it's something that's available to everybody. We, we have that power in us. Yeah. I mean, recently in the news, there was a, a lot of groups who identified as witches releasing like anti-fascist manifestos and, um, you know, things in, in defiance of Trump. So I can definitely see that in there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I want to add that I think there can be overlap in rebelling against the status quo and reclaiming power. Um, my personal essay in the book, I'm primarily known as a sex and relationships writer, you know, stems from changing the way I date and who I sleep with and who I become intimate with because, you know, from being in toxic relationships with men, I remember having this like, dawning moment that if I the the task of dismantling the patriarchy is like so overwhelming to even think about but I realized that if I'm going to be writing about about sex and relationships you know and to me sex is incredibly political um you know much of what I write about is marginalized communities whether it's a kink community or a queer community or a poly community Coming out to represent yourself in one of those groups is rebelling against the status quo. And to me, all which really means is whether you're a woman or a non-binary person or a man, knowing and understanding your power. I think it's especially important to women because in general and from where I'm speaking from in relationships, we often are silenced or screamed at or disregarded or used and so simply to say I am a powerful person these rituals through acts of self-care help me take care of myself help me change the way I operate in my daily life and my personal like romantic relationships friendships who I choose to work with who I choose to engage with that's a starting place for me and then I hope through that it will work to manifest itself on a global scale whether it's just starting with eternal changes and hoping that I can be a role model through my writing or simply not, not knowing where else to start because, other than changing the way I live my personal life. I like okay. how big you're thinking, Sophie. You're like, <laughs> world domination through witchcraft. Yes. <laughs> I like it. But I mean, the term witch has, you know, in popular culture, in in throughout history kind of been used in a very negative way you know it's often used to slander someone um or used as an insult i mean how do we try to reclaim that how do we turn that into a powerful thing rather than that that um you know a word of insult i think precisely through projects such as this which i'm so thankful that katie asked me to contribute to you know i Social media has been a huge resurgence of it. You know, Gabby is Nylon's resident witch. That's incredible. I More and more of my friends are asking me about it. And yeah, witches often, you know, 
been used to describe women in the same way like a word like slut would be, which is another, I think, example of word, you know, this last weekend in LA, Amber Rose had the slut walk, and that's another word that's being reclaimed to say, hey, I'm a sexual person, and like, let me be. I, I, I think I think it's happening. I think it's happening. And I think a lot of social of it is social media and just grassroots activism and people not being afraid to speak out and say, yes, I identify as a rich. Excuse me. <laughs> rich would be rich would be awesome, too. But, but I identify as a witch and this is what I do. And we are all capable of very powerful things if we listen to our intuition and form bonds with others and aren't afraid to speak out. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't, I think Sophie phrased it perfectly. Like, it's not necessarily something that we have to start doing. It's kind of something that we kind of just need to keep fostering. Like, like she said, like, all these mainstream publications are including things about the full moon or about, you know, like sex magic and witchcraft. And just, it's so much more accessible now than it, it has ever been, even just since I started writing about this, like, three or four years ago. Um, and I think as we show, like, as we continue to teach people, like, what a witch actually is, or that there's many different ways to be a witch, we kind of start shifting that narrative. Um, also, historically, that narrative of the witch has been controlled by men, and now the power of the witch is slowly being put back into the hands of the witch herself, um, or themselves, um, which I think is kind of helping us recreate that the idea of the archetype as well yeah definitely i mean a lot of the sort of the the mythos that you know i know uh, you know outside of the kind of stereotypical you know you don't have to look further than disney with people like maleficent or ursula you know these these terrifying witches um but for me witchcraft was really about sort of that nurturing power the creative power there's often you know um allusions to birth and you know in terms of just nature as well as actually giving birth to other creatures um so yeah i'm trying to find a a good way to phrase that i'm just uh, yeah no failing (laughs) so for me it, it is that that positive thing and that has been around but yeah as you say you know witches are powerful and they are seen as perhaps that way to break down the patriarchy which obviously becomes you know the the fear from the patriarchy to that they need to squash that it seems to me that everybody has a, a different idea of witchcraft and i you know and what it involves and it's it's very very personal and subjective and i think it's great that you've actually got in this this book like personal essays so a very personal approach from everybody so that people I I presume that you know people who are both very experienced as witches and people who are brand new will be able to take something from this um I mean when I read it it's got everything from like spells did I see there was face cream as well that sounded fantastic when I set out to do the book I wasn't so much focused on including witches so much as just realizing that um the world was a really crap place and I really felt I needed to do something about it. And one of the ways that I wanted to resist was allowing people to find power within themselves to be able to resist. Because I think a lot of people just don't know what to do right now. They're just really overwhelmed by everything. And especially marginalized people are extremely overwhelmed by everything. And everywhere they look, there's just people attacking our authority and our agency and our freedoms and our rights. So I know that I find power in ritual 
So I was hoping that I could just gather up a whole lot of people who also use ritual. And it just happens that, of course, most of those people are witches because witches have already recognized the power of ritual. But there's a lot of writers in the book who don't identify as witches. And I think that's kind of, I kind of did that on purpose where you don't have to be a witch or into witchy things to get something from the book. You also don't have to be a marginalized person. You also don't have to be a woman. You don't have to have like no interest in the witchiness. You could kind of come at it from any any point of view and just be like, actually, I'm a person who needs more power in my life and I need a way to resist. And if that's who you are, then this book is for you. And I mean, one of the reasons that I picked up on face cream and sort of skincare routines is one of the things is that I suppose there's... Um, a lot about women's looks kind of being something that the patriarchy used to, you know, control people and and sort of uh, it's seen as, you know, dressing up for a, a guy and things. But to be mm. honest, it's as much a part of my empowering ritual that I put on my makeup and I feel good about myself. And whether I'm going out to meet guys or girls or a group, that's that's my empowerment ritual, you know, and everybody is different. And just because it seems to be something linked with um how men obviously treat women and, and denigrate them, it doesn't mean that you can't then turn that into something powerful and go, no, I'm not putting makeup on so that guys will look at me or whistle at me. I'm putting it on because, you know, I like it and I like to look good. Precisely. And I'm not personally writing about skincare, but I'm so glad that someone is because I am a woman who has an elaborate skincare routine and it means a lot to me. And it started as a result, I grew up in the Caribbean, you know, directly on the equator. So skin cancer was a very, is, you know, something I have to think about a lot. But I cannot begin to tell you how many male partners or lovers I've had make comments like as I'm putting on my night, night, night cream and eye cream and taking off my makeup asking like, how do you go camping if you have such like an elaborate skincare routine or like, oh, you take so long. Like, it's just like, you know, it's, I miss like chill girls, at, you know, and then oh. at the time that, you know, they're also, you know, sleeping with women that they literally could have fathered and have their own. <laughs> and I, you know, I wrote an article for GQ where I got lip fillers and it was, I wasn't even seeing a man at the time. I was, you know, I was sleeping with a, with a woman. It had nothing to do with men, but it felt so good. And I wanted them and I love them and I love my lips and I love my skincare routine. And it's not about men, but like, I, I still cannot get over like the hypocrisy in that. It's just, it's an impossible standard to be expected to be young and beautiful, yet also mocked for putting effort into that. And that aside, which is very real, it's also just the most narcissistic thing to assume that a woman's skincare routine is about your boner when, you know, perhaps it's because she, her father has skin cancer and she grew up in the Virgin Islands near the equator and really cares about keeping good skin. And no, she isn't like super excited about getting wrinkles and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being vain and taking care of yourself. And it's, it's about you. We do this for you, but this is one of the things that drives me so insane about the patriarchy is that they just assume everything's about them when it's not. And I think, you know, which to me, again, means reclaiming your power and stating your voice. And through whatever means that is, whether it's sex magic or selfies or, or makeup or masturbation or, you know, reading tarot cards, it's, it's, if it makes you feel good, if it makes you feel powerful, if it helps 
you operate to your fullest abilities and then be the best version of yourself, then it's the most wonderful thing. And yet we're still consistently put down for it. Yeah, I mean, I'm writing my piece on fashion magic and fat, like my ritual of getting dressed and doing my makeup as my power. And like, it's, I don't fucking wear my MAC lipstick because I think a dude's gonna like it. Like, he's not gonna appreciate the fact that I like took the time to curate myself and like cast this glamour on myself. It's not for that. And for me, like, my power comes in my power. I feel most powerful when I'm wearing something that. I think I look amazing in that connects me to my strength or that connects me to like the cosmos. Like I'll base my outfits on my tarot cards or where the moon is in the Zodiac. And like, that's part of my ritual every morning because as much as I wish I could like run around naked, I can't. Mm -hmm. Um, And even though I don't have to put makeup on, like it's something that makes me feel beautiful. It's something that I enjoy. And like my mom's Mexican, like as a Latina woman, like, that is just part of our day where we like, it's just such a culturally for me, it's like so significant for me to put my makeup on and to like take that time for myself to treat myself, you know, like a lot of us are really busy and witchcraft is something that has to fit into our lives. And at the end of the day, it has to make us feel good. Like what's the point if we're not going to be enjoying the process or our own rituals. Um, And yeah, it's kind of my middle finger to the patriarchy to wear whatever I want, no matter if it offends somebody, confused by what I'm wearing because it's about what they think it's about how I feel and most of the time I feel like a a badass when I wear a good outfit (laughs) I think we all do yeah (laughs) I mean so our podcast is you know generally focused on like science fiction fantasy horror so I wanted to kind of talk to you about um some of these you know the representations in popular culture that fit into this genre fiction um and how that you know, takes on the ideas of witchcraft and the stuff that you're talking about. Uh, but one that, that came to mind was um, Bewitched, which I used to watch as a kid. And it always kind of annoyed me. And obviously, I, I didn't really pick up on why until I was a bit older. But it irritated me that there's this woman who's really powerful, she could do all of these things. And yet she's just sort of controlled in, in many ways. You know, she's beholden to Darren in the whole the whole way through and that's why instead of Samantha I was always I always loved Endora because she was just causing havoc for this ordinary boring man who was controlling Sam that's that's just one thing that that struck me about that the sort of representation of witchcraft and and possibly why bewitched is so popular even with men is that you're seeing this powerful woman be domesticated and controlled now you see, ladies, it's time to take a side because I believe the exact opposite because I love Samantha <laughs> as a kid. And I thought that Samantha was much better than Endora. Endora was selfish. She was free-spirited, yes, but she was also very self-centered and she didn't care about anyone. She didn't care about the consequences. The thing I liked about Samantha was she was clearly the more powerful person in the relationship, but she chose to put herself... Um, as an equal um and she could have left him at any time she could have turned him into a toad or whatever but she doesn't she works at it and you can see that um the guy whose name i've completely forgotten you can see that he works at it as well and i i quite like that and i like the idea that you could have two completely different people working together and using magic in some instances to help and using common sense and communication in others i really like samantha but i see i mean i see both sides of it i like i 
I feel like I, I'm not, I don't want to take a side actually, because I don't feel like I've, I haven't paid enough attention to Endora to like really feel comfortable, but I can, I can understand both. I also must confess that I am not very <laughs> with the show, but I will say I, I'm a huge, huge horror film fan. And, but one of my problems with the genre is that so often, you know, they end with the, the witch burning and, and, you know, the, the priest winning by casting out the evil witch and everyone is safe and protected. But I have noticed, you know, through the film, the witch or, yeah. Love, which is another great example that this narrative is starting is starting to change and and that's what I'm excited to see. Yeah. Those are both those films are like immediately what comes to mind in like recent recent um, movies that really nails like the power of the witch. Even though the witch the movie like it's definitely like a little bit more, you know, like frames that the witch is a little bit more evil, she and end is still in control, which I think is pretty rad are there any sort of uh witches from popular culture that have really inspired you or that you you love what they do and i really love the love witch i saw that movie like last maybe like the beginning of this year and i honestly haven't stopped thinking about it just on also because the visuals are amazing um i like i mean i feel like there's not necessarily one witch who's incredibly accurate like personally i really like the craft although I don't like the ending of it necessarily. I think it's, you know, not the best. Um, I really like Hocus Pocus. I, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's one. And Maleficent, I think she's she's pretty cool. What didn't you like about the ending of The Craft? I'm intrigued. Well, it's mm. like the one witch, the witch, um, what's her name? Uh, what's the main girl, Nancy? Like, yeah. She ends up going to an insane asylum, you know, she's like, she can't handle all the power that she has from the craft and like, she's put in an institution because of it. And it's still very like, up until like that part, I was like really rooting for her. And then all of a sudden it was like, she cracked, which is almost like expect from, I guess, from that time period. I don't know. I feel like the 90s was getting there, but. yeah, I, I, I second that. Um, I, I love that film. I think. This is evolving, but I I think women are allowed to be a little bit bad. I don't think we need to be these perfect, good witches who only want to help people. I think we're allowed to be a little bit selfish and unruly. And Nancy demonstrated all of those qualities. And, yeah, the film ends with her, you know, Bound in, bound up in an insane asylum. Obviously, having lost her mind. Obviously, having being punished for being unruly and not even, despite being a witch, like following the rules of the patriarchy. And yeah, I agree with everything Gabby said. I uh, team team Nancy and the craft. I would love to see a remake where she does not end up in an insane asylum. Yeah, amen. <laughs> so, I mean, when it comes to representations of women, uh, witches. Can we still have representations where they are evil and yet, you know, presented that way, but we still kind of can make that into a powerful message rather than the kind of standard genre trope of, as you say, you know, the the priest exercising the the evil and so on, which which becomes then about men saving the day yet again. Yeah, I'd love to see it represented for what it is, which is the truth that 
you know, things just aren't completely black and white or good and evil. I think everyone, all of us, we have all done really good things. We've all done bad things. Um, if we want to talk about people, you know, abusing their power for bad, it's certainly not the women and the non-binary folks and the men and the trans people who identify as witches. It's, you know, usually white men in suits who certainly do not identify as witches who are using their power for for bad. I, I think that, yeah, the, the typecasting of white witch, black witch, good, bad, makes me uncomfortable because I just think that all human beings um, are so much more complex than that. And I think especially when we start applying those labels to people that are already marginalized. I mean, obviously, if someone is doing, you know, horrible, you know, hate, hate crimes or something bad, that's that's not cool. But we're all just so complicated. And I think I don't know. I, th I think we should be allowed to be messy. And Nancy from The Craft was certainly messy. I even think that not labeling witches as black or white witches would be like a huge start. Because in my eyes, like energy is energy. And what we do with it, like Sophie said, like we're, we're, in, we're gray. Like we're not black or white. And like if we keep continuing to like label like the good witch is the white witch or like the bad witch is the black witch, like it also... It's just it's just messy it's inaccurate and it's it's just not correct um but also like allowing women to be evil in movies like giving them the opportunity to like maybe play these characters who like, aren't good but like not even necessarily condemning them for it or like you know like maybe having them be like self-aware or like recognize that like it's more complicated than just being evil like I think it's power, you know what I mean? Like people can use it how they, they see fit, but I just I just agree with Sophie. It's not as it's not as black and white as Hollywood especially makes it seem. I mean the distinction that I tend to find within witchcraft and it can be taken both ways, is whether witchcraft is something very externalized, whether it's sort of demons entering into a man or a woman that needs to be cast out or some external power that you know, can override them a little bit like the craft. So you talk about um, Nancy being in the insane asylum at the end because the, the power is ex almost external. Yes, it manifests inside her, but it's yeah. an external force that's just too much for her. Whereas I think when Megan and I kind of thought about Bewitched, it's very controllable and it's very internalised. Um, and personally, I think that's that's a better representation for it. You know, that it's it's a power within inside you. Yes, you might draw on... Um, whatever power or um, karma you believe is out there, but it is something inside you and the power is within within you that you can then employ within the world. But the trouble is, of course, that that can then also be taken in a really negative way because then they'll just say, well, that person is inherently evil. The power inside them is, you know, really bad. Um, and I think it would be nice to kind of get rid of the idea that sort of power can be overwhelming and that's something to be cast out but also that if you have power inside you and you're a marginalized group like women in the previous centuries whatever that you know that's not necessarily going to make you a bad thing which is what I think the patriarchy sometimes tries to to look at either you're taken over by some demon or you're just naturally wicked and need to be um uh purged a bit all well what starts internal becomes external you know, when I decide that I am only going to spend and devote my time with people who treat me with respect, then that manifests into a happier and more powerful version of myself, which means that I'll be writing more powerful and more 
hopefully inspirational articles on the subjects of sex regarding marginalized communities. And so if that's where that I try to talk about this a lot in my personal essay. So I think what we start internally through thoughts, through rituals that doing that for ourselves can manifest itself. And that's pretty much what magic is, is the power of manifestation. You know, it starts with an internal seed and I, th I think it's both. And then that will turn into something, into an external change that ideally gives more power to marginalized communities and less power to those who already have it and are abusing it. There's a phrase in like, the cult world and witchcraft as above so as above so below as within so without something so within yeah i think that's it anyway it, it's what sophie said it's when we our internal world is reflected in our outer world and our physical world and vice versa and witchcraft magic starts with an intention and then you know you can add physical tools to help you channel that and in that way you're not only working with the physical realm and the energetic realm, but you're also manifesting something in the physical. But without, I describe it like without the intention, it's like having a magnifying glass without the sun. You need the sun to start the fire just as much as you need the magnifying glass, if not more than the magnifying glass itself. Um, I think they're two parts of one whole. You need, but also that the internal is what causes the physical to shape and change in a certain way in the desired way or maybe not even in the desired way but it definitely has to start within if i've got time to put one quick question in yeah i was obviously looking at the um all of the different things and um it's like i say this is designed obviously for people who are well on the way to empowering themselves but also people taking maybe the first steps so i wondered for each of you what first steps did you take? What was your first ritual that you really start to, you know, feel empowered and kind of look in the mirror and go, actually, yeah, this is working for me. I wonder what it was for each of you. I mean, I've considered myself a witch since I was like a wee babe. I was like 11 or 12 when I first, um, I think honestly claiming the title of witch was like my first ritual. I've always been a writer. So like words for me are very important. Um, so either that once I kind of started to do that or just working um like with the moon every month and honoring the cycles of the earth I think taking time to recognize how I'm connected to the natural world through my own rituals like even just like lighting a candle um was probably my first my first ritual I love that how just lighting a candle can be a, the first step of just looking at something very simple and, and taking it a different way that's that's a great idea Absolutely. Gosh, I feel like my rituals have developed slowly and messily over the course of my adult life, but I have a distinct memory of the first time I thought about identifying as a witch and a very simple ritual, which was when um, I was in eighth grade. I was still living in the Virgin Islands, which is a wonderful place, but not a I, I wouldn't be able to be to do the things I'm doing today if I wasn't living in New York City. And I've known I wanted to come here and do those things for a very long time. And I have this memory of being in eighth grade, which is a very, you know, for women, like just getting your period, you know, confusing time. I was on a different island because the islands are all intermingled. And I remember fe feeling anxious about how, how I was going to get back home and a ride to the 
to the ferry stop and just so much angst. And I have a memory, it was nighttime of looking up at the moon and just feeling so much calm, just knowing that it was there. And not only was it there, but there was this whole world out there and feeling such a deep sense of safety and comfort and stability to know that 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 is always there. There is a whole giant world and and I still do that when I when I'm feeling anxious or need grounding. You know, the moon, you know, Gabby mentioned it, you know, anyone you speak to who identifies as the witches kind of have a lot to say about the moon, but simply looking at at the moon and, you know, especially for women, I think for me in eighth grade, you know, that was the same year I got my period and, you know, there's obvious connections between the menstrual cycle and and the lunar cycle, it was just very comforting to me and very pow- powerful to me in ways that at the time I didn't fully understand. But that is my first memory of really feeling like a witch and connected to something greater and feeling calmed, both calmed and empowered by that fact is simply looking up at the moon. Well, that's really amazing because I had exactly the same thing when I was a kid, when I was trying to explore um, my own religions and my own beliefs. And no matter what I believed in, just looking at the moon and the starry sky would just make me feel so very calm and very centered and very connected to everything. So it's just fascinating to think that someone on the other side of the world, maybe at the same time, was kind of having exactly the same experience. Yeah. So I don't identify as a witch, so I don't necessarily have the same connection, I guess, to things like that. But I guess... um, um but you were talking about rituals. I mean, I mean yeah. even something as much as putting on your makeup or your face cream or a, a really fantastic dress and going, you know what? Screw the rest of the world. I look great and I'm happy with me. And what, you know, can you remember, well, if not see, the first time, then one of the first so, times so, you did that. So those things that you just said are like quite nice. But what I've kind of always, always used ritual for was to get power because I've always, I've never liked feeling powerless. So, um, there was at some point I realized that the power that I had and the only power I had was that men were attracted to me. And so I decided to use that power to uh, kind of get what I wanted. And so I kind of had these like sex rituals, (laughs) I guess. And like that was the power that I knew I could get. So that's the power I went out and got. And like I never felt... I never felt like men were taking advantage of me or anything like that in any, if like truth be told, I was probably taking advantage of them. And I kind of like, I liked that, you know, like having that power. I don't know. I'm, I'm not doing a very good job of explaining this. But, uh, well, no, it's great. Cause we've got, you know, three very, very different sort of different ways of empowering yourself, whether it's, you know, through the moon or through um, looking good or through just sex rituals, like you say, I mean, it's all about, at the end of the day, making yourself feel better and making yourself feel that you can go out there and face the world, however however that is. And I don't think, as we said earlier, that, you know, looking good for men is still a, a good way of empowering yourself because you're doing it on your terms and not letting them control you and telling you how to dress. But I think it's also true that, like, you do your makeup and you look amazing and whatever. And, like, getting a compliment on that from a woman is so much more validating 
than getting one from a man because you're like, you don't fucking know anything anyway. But like if a woman is like, oh, I like your makeup today. You're like, oh, thank you. Like it just means so much more to me when it happens. Sophie, if you want to just tell us a little bit about what you're writing about. I definitely was guilty and, you know, still sometimes need to work on it, you know, in my youth of not choosing partners who treated me with respect and beyond that, you know, at times being not that this is a bad thing because I know many people have to be, you know, financially dependent on someone and just power imbalances. Um, you know, I think power imbalances, women, women always get the shorter end of the stick, not always, but, but too often. Um, my essay is inspired by making a conscious decision to leave a relationship that had turned very toxic and the ritual I redid and and cleaned my apartment, including staged it. And then I took the most magical bath that I filled with bath salts from an occult shop, a wonderful occult shop in New York City called Enchantments and did some sex magic for this is about to get a little, little X-rated. You know, sex magic is simply using sexual energy as a means of manifestation. So, So when you orgasm, you think about that power going in a certain direction. And I had, I had this, you'll have to buy the book. I'll do a teaser. I won't tell you all of it. (laughs) (laughs) I had, I had an experience that would, that was life changing in so many ways. Um, And I made a conscious decision to be very selective, you know, have sex with and date people who lift me up rather than try to control me and just I just can't with toxic masculinity I'm just done with it you know especially when I'm writing about sex and relationships I I feel like a hypocrite if the way I live my own personal romantic and sexual life isn't in a way that is nothing but respect and so my essay is about you know, we've talked about internal versus external is internally making the decision to only allow those into my life and into my body that are going to treat me like a respectable human, which sounds like the most one-on-one thing to say, but I think everyone here and everyone listening who likely is not, (laughs) not a man has had the experience of being treated less than. And there's some sex magic, there's ritual, there's, you know, hot lesbian sex. It, it'll be, you have to buy the book. Now I'll do turn this into a little promo. But it's, it's about through my own personal relationships as a sex and relationship writer, dismantling my own personal dependence on the patriarchy and using that as a way to do what I can to manifest that into the rest of the world. Sell it. Sold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely sold. My piece is going to be about how I use fashion and beauty as resistance, as ritual. Okay. Um, yeah. So, I, yeah. So I'm the granddaughter of Holocaust survivors. And part of the reason that I work with fashion and fashion magic um, is because my grandma, who was a seamstress, survived three years in the concentration camps because she was she had the same name as the head seamstress of Auschwitz niece. And since she was actually seamstress, she was able to go to the seamstress quarters and work and sew these uniforms. Um, and because of that, she was able to, to survive. 
Um, and my grandpa was a weaver and they met after the, he was also in the camp for three years. And the first thing he ever said to her when they met after the war for the first time was cadet, your fly is unbuttoned. Um, <laughs> so I just feel like we fashion and magic both have to evolve with the times to stay alive. And I, my essay is going to be kind of on the intersection of fashion, fashion, magic, and glamour and how we can use what we wear um, and how we dress ourselves and have the glamour in ourselves. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. So Katie, by the time this episode goes live, the, um, the Kickstarter mm-hmm. should, will be over. So how will people who, you know, didn't sign up and didn't back the, the project, how will they be able to get the book? Well, pre-orders of the book, the book won't actually come out until February. So pre-orders of the book will be up and you can just go to becomingdangerous.com and you should be able to find out from there. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Glass Slipper. If you enjoyed this podcast, please spread the word.